It's that inward out where he's going to do a work in you. He did not mean for us to do it alone. He didn't. I've always felt that I've struggled with wanting to share my love of Jesus with others. Holy Spirit, you lead this day, and I'm just here with you. You know, they say God sends people in your life for a reason, and I think this is one of those things where he could really work through somebody in your life. I see myself now as worthy of love, as God's adopted child. I look in the mirror, and I'm so happy. All right, glad you could be here today, and uh, thanks for all the energy, Lee. Awesome, <laughs> good stuff. Really great worship this morning. So so fun to be uh, together in this cold, cold January day. Um, you agree, apparently. <laughs> you know, in 1960, all right, I know which seems like ancient history because it pretty much is, uh, two men made a bet. All right, in 1960, two men made a bet, and there's only $50 on the line. But millions of people would experience the impact of this little wager. Uh, the first man bet the second man that he would not be able to write an entertaining children's book using only 50 different words. All right, did you catch that? The first man bet the second man that he couldn't write an interesting and entertaining children's book using only 50 different words. The second man took the bet. And the result? Well, see if this sounds familiar. All right. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. Yeah, Sam, I am. I will not eat them in a house. I will not eat them with a... You could do better than that, all right? I will not eat them in a box. I will not eat them with a... Very good. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them... Yeah, you guys did pretty good. I do not like them, Sam, I am. Yeah. Of course, it's the classic children's book, uh, Green Eggs and Ham. It was a classic, sold over 8 million copies. It was uh, his most popular work, Dr. Seuss. And uh, no doubt, Dr. Seuss was an incredibly talented author and artist. But what he discovered, I think, through this uh, wager was the power of setting constraints. I think through that wager, he realized the power of setting constraints. Yes, I can write an entertaining children's book using only 50 different words. And the principle is that once you know your limits, you can creatively figure out how to work within them. And Dr. Seuss embraced the challenge of only using 50 words and created a masterful work of art. And it's an example of what we might call the paradox of limits. The paradox of limits. You know, a lot of people think that freedom, and I love the song that we just sang, freedom is being able to do whatever you want, right? And so many people think that the fewer limits you have on your choices and actions, then the freer you will be. But see, Jesus, in all of his brilliance, understood the paradox of limits. It's why he taught his disciples that the way to truly experience freedom was to embrace the limits of his commands. Jesus taught that the true way to experience freedom was to actually embrace the limits of his commands. So we're in week two, as Lee said, of our series, Are You a Disciple? And we're looking at, at our lives to see evidence that we are truly and actually following Jesus. When it comes down to the basics of what it means to be a church, it's like, okay, are we living as disciples, as followers of Jesus? And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus says that there are particular ways in this world that, of being in this world that actually characterize his disciples. And if these ways are evident in our lives, then guess what? We are actually disciples of Jesus. 
And so during this series, we're digging into four key sayings, some of his most well-known sayings. And and the one we're going to wrestle with today is this. When Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And Jesus is saying that his disciples can be identified by their obedience. You can be identified by your obedience. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you hold to his teaching. You embrace the limits of his commands. Now, I just got to stop right here. How does this sound so far? (laughs) First, I'm talking about giving and money. Now I'm talking about obedience. Aren't you glad you came today? But see, here's the problem, you see. Obedience doesn't come naturally. Am I right? I mean, we, if we're honest, we don't even like the word obey, do we? And is there anyone here, okay, who if they had found out in advance that we were talking about obedience today would have said, oh, not only am I going to show up, but I got to call a friend and let them know you got to come and hear my pastor talk about obedience. Anybody, probably nobody. And obedience that's forced, uh, it doesn't work anyway. We know that, right? I mean, we see it in children who are raised in super authoritative environments, right, who just cannot wait to get out and get away from their parents. Maybe that was you. Or if you've had a boss who was completely and only about hitting your numbers, no matter the cost. I mean, even the biggest bonuses, right, don't matter. They leave you wanting to walk. I mean, on a grand scale, we see it with oppressive and abusive regimes, right, who insist on conformity. Over time, what happens? It leads to massive rebellion. And, you know, over the years, I've had many conversations with people who just, for some reason, seem to assume that God is angry or frustrated at them for not measuring up. And they often walk around worried that somehow God at any moment is going to hammer them over the head for not obeying. Almost like God's some sort of whack-a-mole God, you know, looking for you to pop up and disobey so that he can smack you on the head. And I just want to say, if that has been your experience, honestly and truly, I am sorry. I am sorry. Because it's just, it's not supposed to be that way. And I want you to know, that is not the way of Jesus. You see, Jesus' commands are not there to force us to follow. They're there to free us to flourish. Let me say it again. The commands of Jesus are not there to force us to follow. They're there to free us to flourish. Forced obedience, it's just not what Jesus is looking for or asking for. That's not what Jesus is inviting us to. Now, I got to tell you, you, you have to expect this. When we think, talk about the topic of obedience, I couldn't help but think about my own kids. And I'm reminded of my daughter. And my daughter, Chloe, she's 24. <laughs> 24 now. Just thought I'd clarify that. Look at the eye of the wife. Yes, 24. But when she was little, you know, like three or four, and didn't want to obey or do what we told her to do, like go to bed, we would sometimes say, well, Chloe, you just need to tell your feet, all right, to take yourself upstairs and go to bed. And then often she would say, I am telling my feet, but they're not listening. (laughs) Good strategy on her part. But you know, when Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, um, he follows that statement with this statement, okay? So first he says, if you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples. And then he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus is saying that obedience is actually an invitation to freedom, 
Let me say that again. Obedience is actually an invitation to freedom. Now, the Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to at the time probably didn't take too kindly to Jesus' words and were offended by the suggestion that they were not free. And so they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? But I don't think we're much different than them. And maybe we don't like the implication that we're not free either. After all, I mean, we live in the the land of the free, the home of the brave, right? We might think I make my own choices. I live as I see fit. I've got a good job. I'm financially secure. I live in a free country. I enjoy individual liberties. I'm not a slave that needs to be freed. But you know what? I suspect that Jesus would respond to us in the same way he responded to his original audience. And here's what he said, okay? Check this out. He said, very truly, I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone. Anybody here going to say they don't sin? (laughs) Everyone who sins, who misses the mark in any way, shape, or form, is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, talking about Jesus now, sets you free to be a son You'll be free indeed. You see, Jesus says that it's our sin, our choices that that we make, the actions that we take that don't align with him. That's what actually enslaves us. Make sense? Jesus says it's our sin. It's the actions we take, the, the, the things that we do that aren't in alignment with him. That's what actually enslaves us. And we may still push back and, and think we're free. And sure, I mean, spending, right, can feel like freedom until you're dominated by debt, Right? Uh, I mean, drinking can feel like freedom until you're bound by addiction. Uh, You know, giving someone a piece of your mind, man, that can feel really freeing sometimes, can't it? Until you're weighed down by, what, regret? Wishing you hadn't? Uh, In a popular TED Talk, psychologist Barry Schwartz pointed out that many of us believe the way to maximize happiness is to maximize your individual freedom, maximize your choice. You know, remove all the boundaries or constraints. We tend to think that freedom is the ability to do whatever you want to do. But then Schwartz pointed to a picture of a fishbowl. And then he said, you know, if you shatter that fishbowl so that everything is possible, you don't have freedom. You've got disaster. Everybody needs a fishbowl. Everybody needs a fishbowl. Sorry, another kid story. Uh, the summer after my son graduated from high school, Lisa and I had the chance to go to Italy for a great, great vacation. And so we left him home alone, and it was during Lollapalooza. It's just like already a recipe for disaster, isn't it? <laughs> and I think it was our first morning in Rome when, when the phone rings at 7 a.m. in Rome. I do the math quickly and realize that if it's 7 a.m. in Rome, it's 12 midnight in Chicago. Not a good sign. And so I get on the phone, and my son, Graham, and again, he was 18 at the time, just graduated from high school, between his senior year of high school and freshman year of college. And he says, Dad, um, I just had an accident. We're at the corner of Washington and LaSalle. Everybody is okay, but I'm pretty sure I totaled the car. Now, here's what you don't know, okay? And I'm not telling you this to make me look good. I'm just telling you what happened, all right? 
one of the last things that we said to him before we left on vacation was, you can drive the car pretty much wherever you want. Just don't take the car into the loop at night during Lollapalooza. What did he do? He took the car into the loop at night during Lollapalooza. <laughs> it's like, I was like prophetic in a horrific way. And now, okay, so, yeah, right. Okay, I was right for once. And I, but I didn't give him those limits, like, because I was trying to wield my power or to take, you know, you know his fun away or to limit all the good times he had with his friends. I just kind of had a hunch about some of the potential dangers. And see, the teachings of Jesus and his commands are actually an invitation to freedom because they do. They provide limits that enable us to flourish, I would urge you just to open yourself up to that idea today. For example, Jesus says, when you're wronged, don't retaliate, turn the other cheek. When you're wronged, don't retaliate, turn the other cheek. His teaching is a limit, you see, that becomes a freedom. Instead of being consumed by anger and revenge, we can experience the freedom of forgiveness. Jesus says, don't give yourself over to lust. And again, his teaching is a limit, right, that becomes a freedom. Instead of being enslaved to an an addiction to pornography, we can experience the freedom to love. Jesus says, don't judge. And once again, his teaching is a limit that provides a freedom. And instead of being imprisoned by the desire to criticize or condemn, we can experience the freedom of extending grace to the people around us. And what disciples of Jesus come to realize is that his commands aren't there to force us to follow, but to free us to flourish. Obedience is an invitation to freedom. And the Son wants to set us free. But obedience is also an invitation to relationship. Now, a little bit later on in the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is sharing uh, this last meal before his crucifixion, right? When he says this to his disciples, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, I would guess that at one point, at one time or another, most of us have had the thought that, you know, maybe God is this all-powerful God who just, you know, wants us to obey. Like he gets kind of a kick out of seeing us obey, simply maybe because he wants to feel better about being God. And we sometimes might look at his call to obey as some sort of power trip or something. After all, if you put these words of Jesus into the mouth of a human being, I mean, at best it would look manipulative, right? Or maybe even abusive, right? It's true, isn't it? But that's not God at all. When, when Jesus makes this statement right here, he's on his way to the cross. He is willingly preparing for his own death. He's about to empty himself of all of his power and offer himself as a sacrifice. And in this crucial moment, he says to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. Now, I think it's also helpful to point out that many scholars would say that that if there might even better be translated when, And so it's not so much conditional as it is actually relational. And he's saying to its closest followers, you know, when you love me, keep my commands. When you love me, keep my commands. It's just kind of assumed that when you love Jesus, you will seek to keep his commands. So as Jesus prepares to go to the cross, he turns to his disciples, the ones he has spent nearly three years with, who he dearly loves. And he says, when you... Love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience is an invitation to relationship. I mean, think about this related to marriage, okay? 
you stay faithful to someone. You don't stay faithful to someone because they tell you to be faithful, right? You're faithful to someone. Why? Because you love that person. And what does faithfulness look like? Honestly, it often looks like obedience. It's following through, right? I mean, if you're in a relationship with someone and that person says, hey, I'll meet you for dinner at 6 p.m., but they don't show up until 7 p.m., would you feel loved? Of course not, no. Or if you're in a relationship and that person and you, they, you, you decide to be exclusive, you're not going to see anyone else, but then you find out that they've seen like two or three people over the last month that weren't you, would you feel loved? <laughs> no. Maybe this will help. If you're in a relationship with someone who claims to be a Chicago Bears fan, but then you find a lot of green and yellow in their closet, what do you do? Run as fast as you can. I'm still upset about last week. We could just, you know, pray a curse on the Packers today. <laughs> Did I say that? Can I say that as a pastor? I don't know. That sounds really bad. Um, and if you're not in a relationship with someone, you're much less likely to obey that person, right? I mean, think about it. If you're not in a relationship, you're less likely to obey that person. Uh, I mean, when you're on an airplane, okay, let's just be honest, okay. How many of you actually, or how many of you sometimes ignore the safety instructions that are being communicated to you by the flight attendant? Just be honest, okay? All right, we know where liars go. Put your hand up, okay? Or when you're walking around this city, especially when it's freezing cold out like this, as city dwellers, come on, you know you do this, right? Do you really obey the do not walk sign if there's no cars? No, you're going to get across that street as fast as you can, right? Yeah, most of us really aren't motivated to obey when there's no relationship. But as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he, he looks into the faces of the men and women he dearly loves and reminds them that their obedience to his commands will reveal, his, reveal the love that they actually have for him. And let me just say that ultimately, you see, he wants us to love and obey him because he's forming a community and a kingdom community of world changers. Think about that. Ultimately, he wants us to love and obey him because he's forming a community of world changers. That's who we are, the church. Well, as we continue, Jesus says to these disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So what's going on here? Well, I would suspect that Jesus knows one of the greatest challenges of his disciples, both then and now, is to think that when you know, life gets hard, we kind of start to doubt the relationship, right? When life gets hard, especially when we're, we're obeying, we're following through, we feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and, and things just aren't going our way, we start to doubt, hey, what's going on, right? You know, when you're working hard and you're giving your job everything you've got and it still falls apart, don't you start to kind of wonder, hey, God, what's going on? I mean, I'm, I'm giving this job everything I got. Are you going to be able to, like, still take care of me, provide for me? Or when you're in a relationship and you've given it everything you've got and it feels far from secure. I mean, don't you start to question God and say, God, I thought this was the, the one. What's going on? Or maybe when your spiritual or mental health starts to kind of decline, you know, and you're feeling that weight, don't you often kind of go, God, are you there? Do you, do you really care? And see, I think when life gets hard, we might be tempted to wonder, Did, has God abandoned me? Does he, does he really care or am I just an orphan? And I think here Jesus is saying, no, 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 you always belong with me. I will not leave you as orphans. You can trust me. Give your allegiance to me. And so 
our obedience becomes a mark of that allegiance. It demonstrates that we do, in fact, belong to God. And Jesus goes on to say this. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Obedience is an invitation to relationship. It's an opportunity to express our love to the one who was willing to go to the cross so that we could actually belong to the family of God. Because the commands of Jesus are not there to force us to follow. They're there to free us to flourish. And when you realize that Jesus' call to obedience is actually an invitation to freedom and relationship, then obedience becomes a privilege. It becomes, and actually becomes a blessing. It's the paradox of limits. Obedience isn't something that's forced on us. It's something that Jesus invites us into. And then as we grow in our relationship with him, we can grow in our obedience to his teachings. And, And can I just tell you, you know, as I look back on my life as a follower of Jesus, honestly, I mean, the times I felt most free have absolutely been the times when I have most closely aligned myself with the ways and teaching of Jesus, without a doubt. And the times that I felt less free, when I've kind of felt burdened, weighed down, maybe even enslaved, it was when I was choosing my ways instead of his ways, without a doubt. I mean, I'll just tell you, when I've been in a season where I've been given in to lust or greed or anger, I haven't felt free. When I've been in a pattern of, you know, comparing myself to others or jealous or overperforming in order to get recognized, I haven't felt free. When I've given in to the pursuit of power or influence or maybe wealth, I have not felt free. I felt the opposite of free. But on the other hand, when... You know, I've tried to give my all to following even the most simple and basic commands of Jesus, like, you know, loving my neighbor as myself, putting others before me, uh, serving those around me, being thoughtful and kind to my wife, not judging others, being generous in ways I never thought possible. It's in those moments, I got to tell you, and it's in those seasons, in those days when I realize again that the commands of Jesus are not there to force me to follow, but to free me to flourish. I think that's what it looks like to grow in obedience, It's not a bad word. (laughs) It's really not. It's actually a good word. And obedience is is, um, a big part of what Jesus invites to what we've been calling the you plus life. A life that's not centered on you, but on these three life-giving connections that we talk about week in and week out. You know, you plus God, you plus the church, you plus the world. And I just want to say, your connection with God, it's foundational to this U-plus life. And an allegiance to Jesus and obeying his teachings is the very core of that connection. And so as we start this new year together, yeah, what is it, January 14th, right? Okay, we're just two weeks into the new year. Um, We're challenging each other to grow in this U-plus life. And so specifically today, as we kind of wind this up and wrap this up today, I want to challenge you to be honest with yourself about your connection to God and your allegiance to Jesus. And when you step back and you look at your life, you take an honest assessment, do you see a disciple who is following Jesus? Do you? And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody at all, but I ask this as an invitation to recognize that Jesus loves you and wants you to be free. And so let me ask you this. 
if you had to take an honest assessment, in what area of your life is Jesus perhaps calling you to obey? In what area of your life would you say, yeah, I'm feeling the nudge. I'm feeling like the Spirit's prompting me to obey in this particular area. Maybe over the course of the last 20 minutes, something has come to mind. You've maybe felt a little prompting, a tap on the shoulder, a whisper in your ear. Pay attention to that. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life. And what area is God calling you to obey? Now, obedience on your own is really, really hard. Um, and that's why we encourage you to take the step of having a U-plus discipleship conversation. And it's a very simple conversation you can have with a friend or someone in your small group or a mentor if you're not sure who to have this conversation with. And this conversation is simply about you identifying areas where you know that God is calling you to take steps forward in your personal walk with Christ. It's not what the church wants you to do. It's not what I want you to do. It's not what anybody else wants you to do. It's between you and God. We just know we need somebody else to kind of facilitate that and help us have that conversation. It's hard to have a, well, I have conversations with myself all the time, but that's not what this is about, okay? This is actually a conversation with somebody else. So you can use the QR code. There's another QR code. I think it's like six today. Um, if you want more information about that. But I would really urge you to consider that. And if you need help kind of walking that and figuring that out, seeing myself or somebody else that you've seen on stage or one of the leaders, we'd be happy to help in any way we can. Um, let's wrap it up with this. You know, Jesus wants you to be free. Think about it. He wants you to be free. Don't let anybody tell you any different, okay? And the new life, a life lived on your own with no limits, what that is, is a, a smash the fishbowl kind of life. That's what it is. It truly is. And yet I know we're tempted to think absence of constraints is freedom, but it's not. It's just not. It's disaster. It's, and um, I've experienced it enough. I, I don't want that. I'm guessing most of you have probably experienced that too. And I just hope that you would um, faithful and take the risk to acknowledge that yourself. And the U-plus life is a life within the limits that Jesus gives us. It's the way to freedom. It's the way to an ever-deepening relationship with God. Because again, and I'll say this one more time, the commands of Jesus are not there to force us to follow, but to free us to what? Yeah, flourish. Flourish. That's what, that's what God wants for us. That's what Jesus wants for us.